Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf hey. We're going to go from the the ninth line on daf hey. I'm with Aleph five a. Um, today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas um, Ben Zion Ben Zev Avram Halevi and Yehoshua Yitzchak Ben Shol Ruven Halevi. May their memory be a blessing and may their may their neshamas have an aliyah. Um, so yesterday, what the question we're dealing with is we know, well, we saw that all the Tanoim agree that the Isur of Chomet starts at midday on Erev Pesach. So we're looking for the source for that. Um, where do we see that it should start on Erev Pesach? So yesterday we brought one, which was Abaye basically brought a contra- uh, two psukim that don't seem to fit. The first pasuk says... For seven days you shall not find chomets in your house. And then it says, on the first day you shall get rid of the chomets. So it says, it can't mean on the first day because you had to have it ri- you had to be rid of it the whole, you're not allowed to have it for the whole seven days. So when the first day must mean the day before. Now we're going to go on to a second opinion. It's almost a take on this first version. But it says, the very Tana, the very taught, we find that the 14th day, the 14th of Nisan, is called Rishon. Just, yeah, just to go back a step, remember, um, remember um, Erev Pesach is the 14th of Nisan, I Orla Borsa, that's when we do Bedikas Chomets on the night of the 14th, then the 14th day is Erev Pesach, and the 15th, the night of the 15th would be the Seder night, um, so that's just the calendar date, so we actually find in the Chumash that the 14th is actually referred to as Rishon. As it says, on the first, either, let's be reading it as the first day, on the 14th of the month. So when the apostle comes and says, you will destroy your it must mean is always is referring to the 14th. A third possibility, again, of the source that Chomets, the Easter of Chomets starts at midday on Erev Pesach. Rav Nachman by Yitzchak, Omar Rav Nachman by Yitzchak says, Omar Rishon Dmei Koramashma. Rishon demei koramashma. Rishon implies before. I sometimes Rishon can imply first, but here it's imp- it means before. It says, where do we see this? The Omakra, the Posuk says, Harishon Adam Tivalaid. Before Adam was born. That can't mean Adam was born was the first, but it means Adam was before Adam was born. Elomayata ah. So you telling me whenever we find this word Harishon, it means before. It says, You shall take your Lulav Biyom Harishon. Are you telling me that you take your Lulav on Erev Sukkot? Because you we just learned what does the word Barishon mean? The day before. So it says Velochtam says, No, Hachanami Rishon to make Koramashma. Can't be that there it means before. So the Gemara also knows, Shani Osan Dirsivim Simachtem Lifne Hashem Elokeichem Shivas Yomim. You will rejoice before Hashem for seven days. Ma Shvi Shvi Lachag Af Rishon Rishon Lachag. Just as in the second part of the pasuk when it says Shivas Yomim, the seven days are referring to of the festival. So contrast that to the Rishon. It means the first day of the festival. So again, so what's he saying? You're right. Generally, Harishon would mean before. But here it contrasts Harishon 
the first day of Sukkot to the seventh day of Sukkot, just as the seventh day is obviously on Sukkot. Therefore, the first day must also be on Sukkot. It says, Oh, but so to here it contrasts the first and the seventh because it says you must destroy your chomets on the first day and for seven days eat matzah. So we should say the seventh day and the first day are both on Pesach. So, in came the Kra Rishon. Ha Rishon Lamali. Shmamina Omram. No, because if that's what I meant, it should have said Rishon. Without the hay. But the fact that it says Harishon, that's to teach us as we said, I, it means before. So where are we holding at the moment? Rav Nachman Bayitzak says when the Pasuk says, the Yom Harishon, sorry, what's it? Ach, the Yom Harishon Tashbisu Soor, Mipoteichem, that means on the day, the day before. Harishon means the day before. Ah, Ihachi, if that's the case. Hosom nami horishon lamali. Balulav, firstly, balulav, why does it say horishon? It could have just said rishon without the hay. But two and further, hosom dirsiv, it's written over there. Beyom harishon shabason, beyom hashmini shabason. The first day will be like uh, what we call a yomtev, I like shabbos, and the eighth day will be like yomtev. Aimur rishon to make koramashma. Are you telling me that on Erev Sukkot you're not allowed to do malacha? It's like a shabbos. So we're running into trouble. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak came along and said, wherever you see the phrase Harishon, like we did by destroying Chometz, it means the day before. Well, that doesn't make sense, because firstly, by Lulav it says Harishon, and it doesn't mean take your, you must shake your Lulav on the day before Sukkot. And secondly, it says you're not allowed to do Melacha on the first day or the eighth day. And the first day must mean first day Sukkot, not, uh, not, um, not Erev Sukkot. So the Gemara answers, no, Shani Yosem to Omer Krov, Shmini Shabboson, Ma Shmini Shmini Dechag, Av Rishon Rishon Dechag. It says, no, it contra- it's contrasting the, again, there it's contrasting the first day to the eighth day. The eighth day is obviously eighth day of Sukkot, so the first day must be the first day of Sukkot. But where you don't have that contrast, then you would say it means, um, where you don't have that contrast, you would say Harishon means the day before. Where Gomorrah asks Harishon Lamali, then why put the hay? Why not just say Rishon? Why say Harishon? Limutai Cholashomoid to exclude Cholamoid. To tell us that you can do Melacha on Cholamoid. Cholashomoid mi Rishon Veshmini Nafka. says, no, it already says on the first and the eighth, which are the days like Shabbos. Either first and the eighth or Yom Tov, implying that the in between days from the second to the seventh day are. Cholamoid and you are not like Shabbos and you can do Melacha. So itrich, now we need it. Salkadate chol dersiv rachmano uva yomashmini. Since the Torah says uva yomashmini on the and on the eighth day vov moisif al inyon rishon. The vov is extending on the first matter. Dafila bechulashomoid from cholamoid. Kamashmelan. Therefore, it's coming to teach us beyom harishon uva yomashmini. To tell us that only those days are forbidden with Malacha, but not Cholamoid. So the Gemara asks, So leave out the hay or the Vov, and leave out the hay, and then you don't need to worry about having the, the, the Shiyom Ashmini and the Vov to connect it to the first day, but not to connect it to Cholamoid. Just leave it all out and you won't have this confusion. Leave out these extra letters. 
So the Gemara says, no, but two, uh, sorry, but two, and secondly, but Pesach, it says, the first day will be a holy day for you. I, the first day of Pesach is Yom Tov. Now, are you going to tell me here, Rishon to make that Rishon that you can't do Melacha on Erev Pesach? So we're, we're in a bit of a... Ta- uh, Rav Nachman's running into trouble here. Sorry, just want to close the door. Rav Nachman's running into trouble. Again, we started off this discussion looking for the source that you're not allowed to do, that you're not allowed to eat chomets from Erev Pesach already, from midday on Erev Pesach. So, we, so Rav Nachman says, because when you see the phrase Harishon, it means, when you see the phrase Harishon, it means the day before. It doesn't mean the first day, it means the day before. Well, we've got three questions where we run into trouble with that. It says, Harishon by shaking the lulav. It says, Harishon by doing melocha on Sukkot and melocha on Pesach. So three times it says, Harishon, that it definitely doesn't mean the day before. There's no way we see that you're not allowed to do melocha on Ere, Pesach and Sukkot. That's two of them. And also, where do we see that? And obviously, you don't take lulav on Ere, Sukkot. You take your lulav, you shake your lulav on Sukkot itself. So, what are those Rishons coming to teach us? Now we need those three Rishons for the teaching of a Devere Bishmol. They're not coming to tell us a Tam or anything like that. They're coming for a completely different Rosha. What is that? The Tanit Bishmol. In the merit of three firsts that we keep, we get. So, yeah. In the reward for three rishons, we gain, we get three rishons. What is though? What are they? The hachris zara shel esav to destroy the descendants of esav, the binyan beis hamikdash to rebuild the beis hamikdash, ulishmo shel mashiach, and to and for the name of mashiach, I will get mashiach. Where do we see this? The hachris zara shel esav. Where do we see that rishon? By the fact that we keep the first day. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll describe soon which one connects with which one. But by the fact that one of the Rishons, where do we see that Asa, that it would imply that we get to destroy the descendants of Asaf? To see as it's written, by Harishon Admoni The first one came out red with the crown of hair. I, that's referring to Asaf. So we see Asaf is Harishon. So in the future, we're going to have the opportunity to wipe out that Rishon. Where do we see that it refers to the Beis HaMikdash? His throne of glory, exalted on Merishon from first. And the name of Moshiach, as it says, Rishon Etzion Hinei Heinom. The name of the Rishon Etzion. The first of Zion, I that's referring to Moshiach. So let's just go back. So fine. So Rav Nachman Yitzchak's drosha seems to stand. He says whenever you see the phrase Harishon, or at least often when you see the phrase Harishon, it means the day before. So when it says Biyom Harishon Tashbishu Soor on the on the Yom Harishon destroy the Chometz, that means from Erev Pesach you must destroy the Sukkot, the the Chometz, the day before. Oh, we brought three different cases where it says Harishon to teach us something else. I we bought three cases. It says by taking lulav. It says harishon. Does that mean the day before Sukkot? It says you're not allowed to do melacha 
on Harishon of Pesach? Is that telling me you're not allowed to do Malach on Erev Pesach? And thirdly, it says Harishon Ba Malach on Sukkah. So you're telling me you're not allowed to do Malach on Erev Sukkah. So there we see Harishon doesn't mean Erev the day before. So the Gemara answers, yeah, those Rishons are there for another drosha, the drosha of Devei Rebbe Shmuel, that in the merit of these three firsts, I taking Lulav, not doing Malacha on the first day of Pesach and the first day of Sukkot, we merit three rewards in the future. What's the connection? So the Maharsh, the Maharsha discusses it, he's a commentary in the back of the Gemara, but the one point I wanted to um, just... I don't remember if this is exactly as he said, but it would be along the lines of Erev Pesach, keeping the first day of Pesach is is acknowledging Hashem saving us the redemption from Egypt and the destruction of the Egyptians. So keeping that will allude to the future when we get to destroy where we saved from Esau's descendants. At the moment, we, we kind of view that all the, the Gol- we're in Golos Rome, the Roman exile, which are descendants from Asab, and that's what we're still um, going through. Um, that's the Rishon of Pesach. The Rishon of Sukkot, the Suk, um, the Suk, I think they're various connections, but the Sukkah in some ways represents Hashem Shechina protecting us. One of the allusions of the Sukkah is to the Ananea Kova that Hashem protected us, to Hashem's presence, which could correspond to the Beis Amigdash. And also we say what's it? Hashem spreads His Shalom over us. And we find that the Beis Hamikdash is the, let's call the, unify the Mokom Shalom of Bnei Israel. It's where the, all of Bnei Israel go to serve Hashem as one in the one temple. It's not like we have different temples and different Mizbeachs. It's all one. So I think that's also with Shalom. So that's the connection between Sukkot and the Beis Hamikdash. And what's the connection between the Lulav and Moshiach. I'm drawing blank here. Um, it slipped my mind. Let me see if I can find it very quickly. Sorry, one second. Yeah, um, so Sukkot was, as I explained, um, the connection of the Shechina and Shalom. And then he says, The reason it says Rishon Balulav, Al Shem Hasimcha, the joy. Taking the Lulav is tied to joy. We will get, we will merit the joy in the future with Mashiach's coming. Shinik for Rishon, as Mashiach is called Rishon, um, and he says very interesting. He says the diktuk Mashiach. If you notice, it didn't say we will merit through taking the Rishon of taking suk of take of shaking lulav. We will merit Mashiach. It says we will merit the name of Mashiach. It says because the name of Mashiach is Menachem. 
Because He will, will comfort us, but change our way of thought and bring joy to us. Okay, so that's, uh, so that's the connection. The lulav is connected with simcha. It's a mitzvah that uh, brings that's specifically connected to simcha. And therefore to shake it in the future will um, bring... Um, at, uh, the merit of shaking it will bring the simcha of the coming of Mashiach. Okay, so up to here we're now going to bring rather a fourth source that, or yeah, a source where we see that Chomet becomes Osur on Erev Pesach, or that you have to destroy it on Erev Pesach, you not um, at the night of Pesach, but earlier. It says, Rava Omamehacha, Rava says from the following, it says, You're not allowed to shecht my sacrifice over Chomet. What does that mean? You're not allowed to shecht the Korban Pesach while Chomets is still in existence. Oh, um, sorry, so what's the drosha? That you're not allowed to shecht the Korban Pesach, which you can start shechting from midday on Erev Pesach, while there's Chomets in existence. So therefore you have to get rid of your Chomets before shecht in the Pesach. says, Oh, well then it should depend on you. If you're only going to shecht your Korban Pesach at 3 p.m., well then you should only have to get rid of your Chomets at just before that, 2.30. If you're going to shecht your Korban Pesach at 1 p.m., okay, then you should have to get rid of your Chomets at 12. If you're going to shecht later in the afternoon, at 4 p.m., whatever, then you should only have to get rid of your Chomets at 3.30. So where does Rabbi see that it's all midday? He says, no, the Torah is not saying when you're going to shecht your Pesach. It's telling us when the time of Shechitas Koban Pesach, the time that you can start, I am midday, when you can start shechting the Koban Pesach, offering the Koban Pesach, that's when you're not allowed to have Chomet. And Tanya Namiyachi, we have a Brisa which teaches the same point. It says on Yom Arishon, you must destroy the Chomet from your house. Me'erev Yom Tov, that means on Erev Yom Tov, on the 14th. Oh, Aina Elab Yom Tov Atzma. How do you know that? Maybe it means on the first day, on actual Yom Tov. It says, Talmud Lomer, Loi Tishchot Ala Chomet Zam Zivchi, Loi Tishchot Es HaPesach Vatayim Chomet Chaim, Divrei Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel says, you're not allowed to shecht your Chomet. You're not allowed to offer the Koban Pesach when you still have Chomet. So you have to get rid of Chomet by the 12th hour. I think that would also make it clearer for us because we definitely know that we have to shecht, we have to get rid of chomets before, but we don't offer the common Pesach. So there's man, the time that the common Pesach can be offered, by then you're not allowed to have any chomets. Rabbi Akiva gives a different answer. He says, Rabbi Akiva, I'm not sorry. You don't have to come to that Rosh. It says, Harehu, I'm On the first day, you must destroy chomets from your house. Uksiv and it's written, Kol melocha lo yaseh bohem. You're not allowed to do any melocha on Yom Tov. Umotzinu lahavora shehi av melocha. And we know that burning is av melocha. Rabbi Akiva learns that the word tashbisu, destroy chomet, means burning chomet. So the apostle comes along and says, on the first day of Biyomari Shon, you will burn chomet. Now it can't mean burning the chomets on the first day of Pesach because you're not allowed to burn chomets on Yom Tov. So it must mean you must burn the chomets on Erev Yom Tov. That's how Rabbi Akiva learns. We'll analyze that a bit further shortly. Um, 
Rabbi Yosi Aglili, Omer Rabbi Yosi Aglili gives the third possibility. He says, It's not necessary. It says, On the first day you must destroy Chometz from your house. Is that on Erev Yom Tov? Or maybe it means actually on Yom Tov. So Talmud Loimar, Ach, Chalek. When it says Ach, it's dividing it. It's limiting it. This is an important point. We're quite near the beginning of Shas. But every time you see Ach in a Pasuk, it's limiting the Isur or limiting what the Pasuk is coming to say. So the Pasuk says, Ach Bayomarishon. But on the first day, it's limiting that first day. So it says, Ve'i Yom Tov Atmo Mishori. Maybe you'll say on so you split Yom Tov day. Some of Yom Tov day you're allowed to still have chometz, and some of Yom Tov day you must destroy your chometz. Says Mi Shori Ho Iskis Hashposes Soor Lachilas Chometz. You're not allowed to. It connects destroying your chometz to eating chometz. Vachilas chometz lachilas matzah and eating chometz to eating matzah. So eating matzah definitely kicks in on the night of the 15th. So you would not be allowed to eat and you would have to destroy your chometz by the night of the 15th. So what's the ach coming to tell us? Again, what is the ach coming to tell us? It must be coming to... So, so again, like this. If the pasuk was telling us that you can destroy your chometz on Pesach itself, let's say on the night of the 15th, then we wouldn't use the word ach. But the fact that it puts the word ach, that's telling us to split the day, some of its mutar, some of its asur, it must be referring backwards to Erev Yom Tov. Okay, so it comes out at the end, we've had six sources where we know that Chomet is also from midday on midday on Erev Pesach. Okay, now Omar Rava Rava says, we actually learned three principles from Rabbi Akiva. What did Rabbi Akiva say? Again, Rabbi Akiva came along and said, by the fact that it says you must destroy Chomets on Yom Arishon, he says destroy Chomets means burn the Chomets. And it can't mean burn the Chomets on Yom Tov because you're not allowed to burn Chomets on Yom Tov. So when it says you must burn your Chomets, it must mean you burn your Chomets on Erev Yom Tov. So what are the three things that he says we learn from Rabbi Akiva? He holds that the only way to destroy Chomets is through burning. It's a machloikes we'll see later on in the Masechta. Do you have to burn it or can you flush it down the toilet? Do you have to burn it or can you crumble it and throw it into the wind? So Rabbi Akiva is clearly of the opinion that you have to burn it. Because if you could destroy it in another way, then it's no proof because you could destroy it in another way on Yom Tov. It's specifically Rabbi Akiva learns because it means burning. We also learn that What does that mean? I don't know if you remember when we were learning Maseches Shabbos, there was a Machlokas. We know that there are 39 Melochas from the Mishkan. The Torah doesn't specify all the melachas. One of the melachas that it does specify is You're not allowed to light a fire. So we know, now the Gomorrah wants to know over there, why does it specify fire? So the one opinion is it specifies fire to tell us that all the other 38 melachas you of Misa and Havara, burning a fire, is only a regular negative commandment. Would get lashes. 
The other Tana, and this is what Rabbi Akiva is saying, is that no, because Rabbi Akiva called it, in his teaching, he called it an Av Melocha, a primary Melocha. So what's Havora? Why does the Torah single out Havora? To tell us that each of the 39 Melochas are viewed as a separate Isur. We don't say that all 39 are one Isur. We say that each of the 39 are a separate Isur. That's what it singles out fire to tell us. And the reason we learn that from Rabbi Akiva is because Rabbi Akiva calls it an Av Melocha. The third thing we learn from We don't say since you're allowed to burn you're allowed to burn um, sorry, since you're allowed to burn where necessary, you're allowed to burn where not necessary. That's now referring to Hilchas Yomtev. So we're jumping around, uh, we're jumping ahead. That's to Maseches Beit, so where it discusses, we know there's certain melachas that are permitted on Yomtev for food. For example, you're allowed to light a fire to cook. The question is, so you're allowed, so on Yomtev, we know you're allowed to light a fire to cook. Once you're allowed to light a fire to cook, are you allowed to light it for other reasons? I let's read this line again. Since lighting a fire was permitted when necessary for food, it was permitted also where it's not necessary for food, i.e. to burn chomets. Rabbi Akiva clearly doesn't hold that because Rabbi Akiva says, by the fact that it tells us you must burn your chomets and it cannot be done on Pesach, on Yom Tov, we see that just because they allowed you to light a fire for cooking doesn't give you permission to light a fire for other reasons. Okay, so those are the three opinions we learn from Rabbi Akiva. Three, uh, three points we learn from Rabbi Akiva. Now we're going to analyze. We've mentioned two mitzvahs. When we started the Masefta, I pointed out there four negative commandments and one positive commandment related to Chomets. Achila Hano we're now going to analyze what's the difference between you shall not see chomet and you shall not find chomet in your possession what's the difference are they different or are they just two negative commandments that include everything Okay, so that's what the sugi is going to analyze what's each pasuk adding so he says we learned in a brisa we're on the fifth line of Hayamud Beis 5b for seven days you're not allowed to find chomets in your house. What's this possible coming to teach us? It's already taught. You're not allowed to see in all your boundaries. If you're not allowed to see chomets in all your boundaries, you're obviously not allowed to see it in your house. So why do I need the posuk to come along and tell me I'm not allowed to have chomets, find chomets in my house? So the Gemara explains, the price explains, It says, no. When it specifies, that posuk is quite limited because it says you're not allowed to see lechor, your chomets, which implies you can see chomets belonging to a non-Jew, or you can see chomets belonging to the Beis Amigdash. It's specifically your chomets that you're not allowed to see. Um, carrying on, it says, therefore, yochol yatmin v'yekabel piktoinus minanokri. Oh, you might think you can hide chomets. You're not seeing it, so hide it. V'yekabel, and you can receive deposits or 
picadon uh, from a non-Jew, from a non-Jew. Again, it's not your chometz. If a non-Jew gives you a, if a non-Jew gives you chometz to look after, or for whatever reason, a picadon, um, maybe you would think you can keep that. Talmud Loma, lo it's not even allowed to be found. So that's what. It, so that's the first point. What's Yolim Yotzal coming to add? Doesn't matter whether you can literally see the chometz or not, and it's not limited to only your chometz. You're not allowed to find lo um, yimotzah. It can't be chometz. Can't be found in your house. Okay, this that you're not allowed to find chometz would be with a non-Jew that you're not in control of, and he does not stay with you. How do we know that you're also not allowed to have a picodon of chometz of a non-Jew that's under your power, and he stays with you? Talmud Loma, the Torah says, Lo yimotzei, and you're not allowed to find even the comments of any non-Jew in your house. Let's just go back and analyze this phrase. The Gemara will address it. But if you notice, it seems backwards. What are we saying? We're saying there's an issue to have comments of a non-Jew. So it says that obviously you're not allowed to have comments of a non-Jew where he's independent. He's not under your power. But where do we know that even comments of a non-Jew that's under your power, you're not allowed to have? It seems backwards. What should be more obviously problematic? The Chomets of a non-Jew who's living in Eretz Yisrael, who's a Ger Toishav, who's under the Jew's power, or a non what should that be more problematic? Or should it be more problematic the Chomets of a non-Jew who's not under your power? So it seems backwards because it says, oh, obvi- when it says, Lo say that's obviously referring to a non-Jew that's not in your power. Where do we know about a non-Jew that is in your power? So that seems backwards. The Gemara will address this. Okay, now, Ainli Ella, now if I only had the Pasuk, so now we understand why we need the Pasuk of Lo Yimotze. Because if we just had the Pasuk of Val we would think you could hide Chomets. We would think that as long as it's not your Chomets you're seeing, it's, it's fine. So therefore the Pasuk comes along and says Lo Yimotze. So it says now, so now the Gemara is going to ask, so why not just have the Pasuk of Lo Yimotze? So if I just had the pasuk of lo yimotzei only ela sheb bosechem, I would have only know what's in your house, because what does the pasuk says? Shivas yomim so or lo yimotzei be bosechem. You're not allowed to find comments in your house. But boros besichin over amaros. How do we know that you're not also allowed to have comments in wells, pits, caves, etc.? Talmud loimar bechol vulecho anywhere in your land. I any yeah anywhere. Oh, so now, still, if I had, I would say, if you have chomets in your house, you transgress, you're not allowed to see chomets. You also transgress, you're not allowed to find chomets, because it's found in your possession. You also transgress, you're not allowed to even hide chomets. That we said is because it can still be found. And you're also not allowed to accept a picodon from a non-Jew, have a chomet deposited by you that belongs to a non-Jew. And again, that's as we said, because um, yeah, because of Bali Motzei. But maybe that's only in your house. Maybe that's in elsewhere where Begvulin, which only says Lo Yimotzei, um, 
Sorry, I'm going to tell you about the Kabbalah. I'm going to tell you about the Kabbalah. I'm going to tell you about the Kabbalah. I'm How do I know to put the stringencies we learn out from the Pasuk of Lo Yimotzei and apply them to the Pasuk of Lo Yireh and the other way around? Again, from each of them we learn certain factors, though, um, certain stringencies. And so he says, Talmud Lomar Sa'or Sa'or. The Torah says Sa'or in both cases, Lixayra Shavu to connect them. Nemar Sa'or Babatim, Sa'or Lo Yimotzei Babosechim. So that's telling me. So it says Sa'or regarding houses, Sa'or lo yimotzei bevoseichem, v'neimar Sa'or begvulin, it says Sa'or regarding places that are not in your house, as it says lo yirei lecho Sa'or, not allowed to see Sa'or. Ma Sa'or amur bebotim oive mishum bal yirei o bal yimotzei bal yatmin o bal yakabe pigtonis min anokhri, just as by the Sa'or, the word Sa'or, which it says regarding your house, you would transgress the pasuk of seeing chometz, finding, having chometz, even if it's hidden, and you also not allowed to accept from a non-Jew. Afsa or amura begvulin oiver mishum balyere balyimotzev balyat mino balyakabel pektonos mina nochrim. Umasa or haomu begvulin. So, so that's what we've taken. We've taken the stringencies that we learn from balyimotzev. So or loyimotzev bevosechem, and we've applied them with the gzera shava. To loyere, to chometz big vulin, anywhere in your under your jurisdiction. Then it says, "Oh, umas or haomer big vulin shall choyat toroy lavalat toroy shall acherim shall gva." But now this that we said, the or the chometz that we said regarding vulin, just as that is limited to your chometz, but it does not apply to non-Jews chometz or beis hamikdash chometz. I that would be permitted. To see, to have on, to have in your possession on Pesach. So to Saor that it says by so to oh so so to the chometz in your house, you would not transgress if that chometz belongs to a non-Jew or if that chometz belongs to the Beis Hamikdash. Okay, now the Gemara is going to analyze the brises. So the first point we're going to analyze the brises is we said, we basically brought from lo yimotze, we said that if I just had the phrase lo yimotze, I would know that you can't have the chomets of a non-Jew that's not under your power and living with you. What's the source that you can't have the chomets of a non-Jew that is under your power and is living with you? That seems backwards. Because what's more obviously problematic? The chomets of a non-Jew that's living under your power and with you. So so that's what he says. So he brings the, he quotes the Bryce. Omar Mar, whenever you see Omar Mar in the Gemara, that's generally quoting the Bryce that we've just discussed. It says, We said... Um, I only know chometz of a non-Jew that's not under your power and doesn't stay with you. Again, also power here means he's living in uh, Israel under Jewish uh, rule, as opposed to like another country like South Africa. We don't have power over our non-Jewish neighbors. Talmud loymar yoymotze. The Torah said loymotze. Klapelai. The opposite seems more logical. So Amar Abayah says, yes, you're right, switch it around. Rava says, no, 
Don't switch it around. It's going back on the Reisha. We said that you're not allowed to see your Chomets, but you are allowed to see Chomets, you are allowed to have Chomets that belongs to a non-Jew, not eat, have in your possession Chomets that belongs to a non-Jew, or Chomets that belongs to the Beis Amidash. That's would make sense or that's obviously with a non-Jew that's not under your power and doesn't stay with you. I, that makes Now it makes sense. If we're speaking about the chomets that you're allowed to have in your house, it makes more sense if it's chomets of a non-Jew that you have no power over. It says, um, oh, what about a nochri shekishu b'shori How do I know that you're also allowed to keep the chomets of a non-Jew that you do have power over in your house. Talmud say, no, the Torah says, blankly, it shall not be found. Aye, but it shall not be found. Chomets that doesn't belong to you. Now the Gomorrah says, wait, wait, this posuk, this tan is teaching us a leniency that you're allowed to have the chomets of a non in your house. And so he he was coming to say a leniency that you're allowed to keep the chomets of a non-Jew in your possession. Says so now Venosiv Loklori Surah, but then he brings the posok of Loyi Motsei, which is the Isur. It seems to be the opposite. Loyi Motsei is telling us that you can't have any chomets. So how can he bring the posok of you can't have any chomets, you can't find chomets, to tell us that you can have the chomets of a non-Jew? So the Gemara answers Mishum Shenemar Lecholacho Treizimni. It says Lecholacho twice. Alright, so that's coming to specify specifically your chometz is a problem, but the chometz of a non-Jew is not a problem. Now the Gemara is going to address this. Wait, I don't know if you noticed when we were going through the Brisa, but there was we said seemingly two contradictory phrases. We've just explained the Brisa teaching that. You're allowed to have the chomets of a non-Jew. Okay, whether they're under your power or not under your power, you're allowed to have the, the chomets of a non-Jew. Now let's quote another section of the prices. So Omar Mar, Yochol Yamtin Nochri, is it possible that you can hide chomets in your possession or receive a picodon of a non-Jew? I keep chomets of a non-Jew. Talmud Loima Loimotse. The Torah says you're not allowed to find chomets in your house. What do you mean? Earlier on in the Bryce, you said it's specifically your chomets you're not allowed to see, but you are allowed to see the chomets of a non-Jew and the chomets of the base of Mindash. I, the contradictory point is here, you just told me, it says, I'm not even allowed to keep the chomets of a non-Jew. But earlier on in the Bryce, what did we say? Specifically, it's your chomets that's a problem, and non-Jews' chomets is not a problem. So, kind of, this seems to be a this is, seems to be an internal contradiction in the prices. The Moran says, says, no. The difference is, are you responsible for it or not? I, if something happens to this chomets, are you responsible for it? Now, if something, if you are responsible to the for the chomets. Then it's kind of like yours. I let's say the non-Jew gave you uh, some bread or some whiskey or something to watch of his, or to keep for him. What happens if it breaks or gets eaten or stolen? 
if you would be liable for it, then in a way it's kind of like your chomets and you would not be allowed to keep it. If you're not responsible for it, so, you, so your neighbor says, I'm going away, can you just keep this, some of these things for me, whatever, and you're like, sure, and if anything happens to them, don't worry. Now, if so, they're not at all yours, so that's the chomets that you would, of a you that you would be allowed to um, keep. And now we bring where we see this concept elsewhere. Kihot Amar Lehu Rava Livnei Mechuzah, like Rava said to the people of Mechuzah, that's his town. You must destroy the chomets of the soldiers that's in your house. Uh, they used to have, I don't know the exact word, but as part of the tax or whatever, they used to have to keep food, keep flour, keep chomets of the non-Jews, of the non-Jewish soldiers. So Rava says on on Pesach, you have to destroy it from your house. Why? If, you, if it would get stolen or lost, it would be considered in your possession, and you would have to repay it. It's considered yours, and therefore it's forbidden. So that's Robert's principle. If you're responsible for the Chomets, it's as if it's yours. And therefore, you have to reply it. So Moses, This is all very well according to the opinion that says, if something could trigger your monetary liability, it's as if it's yours. But according to the other opinion, he says, no, just because you might have to pay, it doesn't mean it's yours. You give me something to keep. And I might have to pay for it if something happens to it doesn't make it my object according to the second opinion. So then again, why would you be liable for Chomets that Anandji gave you to keep, even if you're responsible for it? So the Gemara says, no, Shani Hafa to Amar Lo It's different here because the Torah says, Lo Yimotzei. You're not allowed to find it. It's extending it. You're right. In general, just in, in usual circumstances, just because you're responsible for something, it doesn't make it as if it's yours. But Bachom, it's, it's stricter. The Pasuk adds, Lo Yimotse. Ikut to Omri, some had a slightly different version. Honich Laman to Omad Vara Gori Lamamun Lav Kamamun Damon Hainu de Itzrik Lo Yimotse. The Drosha fits in very well according to the opinion that says, if you're liable for the money, just because you're liable for it doesn't make it yours. Oh, now I understand why I need the Pasuk of Lo Yimotse. It's not allowed to be found. Usually you would not be responsible, it would not be considered yours, but by Chomets, the Pesach tells us that it is considered yours. But according to the opinion that says throughout the rest of any other, what's it, financial dealing or discussion, if you're responsible for it financially, it says if it's yours, why do I need the Pesach to tell me that you're not allowed to find Chomets in your house? Obviously, if a Nanja gives you his bread to look after. Obviously, if something happens to that bread and you're responsible to pay, it makes it as if it's your bread and you would have to get rid of it for Pesach. I don't need a Pasuk. So the says, no, it's still necessary. He says, no. Since if he would return, it, when the non-Jew comes back, you're going to give it to him as it is. Are you not paying him? He gives you bread to watch. He gives you a bottle of whiskey to watch. When you, you give it back to him as it is. 
So maybe you'd say, it's not really considered your chomets, and therefore you would not be liable. That's what the Apostle comes along and tells me that you are liable. So just in summary, this last point, let's not get involved in whether it's considered your money or not. But we raise the contradiction. It seems that chomets, are, are you allowed to keep the chomets of a non-Jew in your house over Pesach, or do you have to destroy it? So we said the difference according to... Um, so the Gomorrah explained, it depends whether you're responsible for that chomets or not. If you would have a monetary liability for that chomet, then you would not be allowed to keep it over Pesach. You'd have to destroy it with your chomet. It falls under the Pesach of Lohi Motzei. Chomet shall not be found in your house. However, if you would not be liable for it, then uh, you would not uh, be responsible. So Gavin, to answer your very simply, obviously we have to look into the halachas in a little more detail, but simply from what we've seen so far, if a non-Jew, can you, your maid has chomets. She keeps chomets in your freezer. Would you be, would you have to get rid of it? Or if you sell your dog and your dog food to your maid, would you have to get rid of it? I think so. It seems, uh, I mean, from a, from, if you were taken to the courts, you probably would not have to replace it. If your maid keeps chomets in your freezer and some uh, for shalom, there's a break-in or it gets ruined or the, the freezer stops working and it gets ruined, you would not have to replace it. I think most of us would replace it, but I don't think you would have to if you were taken to court. So um, it's, a, it's a tough one. But again, that's, this is the start of the discussion. Who's, are you responsible for it or are you not responsible for it? Okay, and we'll leave it there for today.